Trees have always been magical to me. I was not a mystically minded child, never given to long reveries, let alone visions of angels. Nor was I a young botanist determined to investigate and understand the natural world. But there was something about trees that drew me in and made me want to be near them. I loved the, the rigid coarseness of their bark, the flexible strength of their branches, the bursting vitality of their leaves. Throughout the emotional upheavals of my childhood, trees stood patiently, bearing silent witness. From the noise of my family, they offered a sanctuary of quiet. I was so fragile, and they so strong, so enduring. I loved to lie beneath their branches, gazing up into the vast latticework of brown and green, penetrated here and there by blue glimpses of sky. I could get lost there and not want to be found. To my Celtic ancestors in northern Europe and Britain, trees were sacred. When the great forests swaddled the land in a canopy unbroken except by rivers and oceans, the tribe depended on the forest for everything, nourishment, culture, spirituality. Trees were seen as sentient beings with magical power with roots deep in the underworld and branches reaching to the heavens, they connected the material and spiritual realm. In ancient Ireland, when a tribe cleared land for settlement, they always left a great tree in the middle called the Cron Baia, the tree of life, the spiritual center, the source of being. If an enemy tribe ever succeeded in cutting it down, it was a catastrophe. Today we face a new catastrophe, not from the loss of a single tree, but from the loss of billions of trees, up to six billion every year from logging alone, an annual forfeiture of forest land the size of Panama. Farmers cut down trees to make room for crops and livestock. Loggers cut down trees for wood and paper products. From the roof beams of our homes to the paper on which this sermon is printed. Sprawling residential and commercial development levels still more trees while fire and overgrazing damage vast swaths of forest land. Loss of healthy forests leaves ecological ripples subtly but inexorably degrading complex communities of plants and wildlife. Because forests act as a carbon sink, drinking in carbon dioxide that would otherwise accelerate global warming, they are crucial to slowing climate change. Deforestation is estimated to be responsible for 15% of greenhouse gas emission. Even as deforestation hastens global warming, global warming increases tree mortality in a deadly feedback loop. Rapid temperature fluctuation, extreme weather events, drought and forest fire put forests under tremendous stress. Animals, including most humans, can migrate away from danger 
Individual trees cannot. Forests can and do, but only if environmental changes are gradual enough. Otherwise, full forests die off. In the western United States and Canada, global warming is driving an unprecedented infestation of mountain pine beetles, changing forest ecology and tipping conifer forests from carbon sinks to carbon spigots. Of course, we like to think of Massachusetts as a comparatively enlightened state, but the town of Hawley has slapped the New England Forestry Foundation with a bill for taxes on their conservation land, claiming that a forest without regular public activity has no public value because it, quote, just sits there. In the ledger books of the town of Hawley, apparently trees, wildlife, clean air, clean water, carbon reduction, and peace and quiet count for nothing. The woods are lovely, dark, and deep, say the town leaders. So why can't we make a buck off them? When our beloved trees are under such threat, it is good to celebrate Tub Shavat, the Jewish New Year of trees. Jewish holidays typically originate in nature and then find a place in history. Pesach, for example, was celebrated for thousands of years as a fertility festival before it was consecrated to the Exodus tradition. Tub Shavat, the new year of trees, began in ancient times as a way to mark the turning of the tax year, was reborn centuries later as a mystical celebration, took a left turn into the peace movement during the Vietnam War, and is today finding new life as a symbol of environmental activism. Formed in nature, Tub Shavat has returned to nature. In ancient Israel, Jews were required to give up a portion of the harvest in the form of tithes for the support of the priests and Levites in the temple. In alternate years, a second tithe was donated to poor people. Tub Shavat, the new year for trees, provided the cutoff date between tithing years, like the start of a new fiscal year. The reason was ecological. Fruit trees in Israel stand dormant during the rainy season from December through the middle of February. Throughout this period, the cold prevents the trees from metabolizing moisture and nutrients. When warming temperatures revive the trees and they begin drinking moisture from the soil, their new year begins. Fruits that began to form before that moment were believed to be using the previous season's rainwater and were therefore taxed as produce of the previous year. For centuries, Tub Shavat was observed as a minor holiday distinguished by no special service or ritual. It was the community of mystics emerging in the 16th century in the town of Safed, above the Galilee, that lifted Tub Shavat out of obscurity. Because the Kabbalists viewed the tree as an image of the Sfirot, or emanations of God, they became fascinated by the new year of trees. If Tub Shavat is the moment when the tree of the Sfirot re renews the flow of life to the cosmos, then it is a time of power, important, God's own Rosh Hashanah. To observe this sacred moment, the Kabbalists developed a Seder, similar in form to the Passover Seder, that included four cups of wine, representing each of the seasons, three types of fruit, and readings about nature, trees, the ingathering of the Jewish exile, 
and God's covenant with Israel. As this text of this Seder became widely disseminated, communities around the world, from Bukharia and Kurdistan to, to Morocco, from Turkey and Afghanistan to India, began developing their own unique customs for celebrating the New Year of Trees. In the 1970s, as the Vietnam War dragged on, some American Jews, among them the venerable Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, were appalled by the deliberate destruction of Vietnamese forest land as United States military policy. The Book of Deuteronomy commands that trees be protected even when laying siege to a city. So they founded the Campaign for Trees and Life for Vietnam to raise money for, re for reforestation in Vietnam. And they planted trees symbolizing peace in public places like the United States Capitol lawn. Thanks to their efforts, Tup Shavat became a focus for action and education, a holy day of caring and working for peace. Today, Tup Shavat is enlisted in a new cause, to heal and protect the earth and its creatures from the greed and recklessness of humankind. Ellen Bernstein, founder of Shamrai Adama, Keepers of the Earth, calls the mandate of ecological stewardship Judaism's hidden message. This message emerges, she says, when we observe what is sacred in Judaism. How are we to treat what is holy? And what is humanity's place amid the holiness? The Jewish understanding that the earth belongs to God attests to the fact the earth and everything in it is holy. And this concept of holiness, Kedushah, is the beginning of a unique Jewish environmental ethic, he writes. Growing up, Bernstein admits she found the Jewish holidays meaningless, simply occasions for new formal clothes and large meals. The dressier the clothes, she recalls, the more somber the holiday. But when she became aware of the natural origins and significance of the holidays and their sacred place in the seasons, exploring the holidays became like a quest for buried treasure. My greatest find, she says, was Tup Shavat. Jewish environmentalists like, like Bernstein have lifted up Tup Shavat as a Jewish Earth Day, a celebration of the environment and a focal point for ecological awareness and remediation. In synagogues, day schools, and religious schools, Jewish educators are conveying the message of environmental responsibility in a Jewish context on Tub Shavat. The Coalition on the Environment and Jewish Life links the holiday to broad moral, spiritual, and ecological issues. Tub Shavat, they tell us, the date for tithing reminds us that the earth does not belong to human beings to exploit at our will. Rather, the world belongs to its creator, and our use of its riches must be in accordance with God's will. In this sense, Tub Shavat is a time to reassess our relationship with all of creation and to examine our patterns of consumption. Is our use of tree products and other resources governed by ethical and religious values? Do we take proper care of those in need? Are we appropriately reverential or wasteful? Rabbi Lawrence Troster has proposed incorporating into the Tub Shabbat Seder four questions, originally posed by environmental educator Mitchell Tomashow, that go to the heart of Jewish environmental spirituality. 
What do I know about the place where I live? Where do things come from? How do I connect with the earth? What is my purpose as a human being? Responding to these questions, Troster says, we come to recognize our place in the order of creation. Like the trees, we are voices in that great choir of life that praises with its every breath the creator of the universe. Like Earth Day, of course, Tub Shavat runs the risk of becoming co-opted, a non-threatening symbolic gesture of ecological virtue that does nothing to challenge the dominant paradigm of exploitation and injustice. Although in the last few decades, folk, folks like us have begun to make Tub Shavat a symbol of Judaism's ecological commitment, cautions rabbi and environmental educator Fred Sherlander Dobb, for fear of creating a token environmental experience, increasingly we are less focused on this day and instead are emphasizing the ecological components of the totality of Jewish ideology and practice. All of us, Jews and Gentiles, have work to do. Work that Jews call tikkun alam, to heal the world. Work that Buddhist philosopher and activist Joanna Macy calls the great turning the shift from the industrial growth society to a life-sustaining civilization. We will, we will face hardship and likely great suffering in the years and decades to come. May we rededicate ourselves to this work May we plant the seeds of trees that will bear fruit to nourish our descendants. May we be inspired by the wisdom of Rabbi Yohanan ben Zakkai, the Jewish sage in the era of the Second Temple over 2,000 years ago, who said, if you have a sapling in your hand and someone should say to you that the Messiah has come, Stay and complete the planting, and then go to greet the Messiah. Amen. And blessed be.